Welcome everybody to the conversation, stories from the faculty and staff of the Department of Communication Studies. And today we're really fortunate to have Dr. Laura Martinez join us. Laura, welcome. Thank you, thank you, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Dr. Martinez just got her PhD from Arizona State University in organizational communication. Uh, she does re real interesting work and we're happy to have her join our podcast today. And uh, first, Laura, we'd just kind of ask you a question uh, about, you know, tell us what, what is it that kind of, what's your passion? What really drives you? What, what makes it worthwhile getting up in the morning every day for you? So I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is circus because I just kind of stumbled into it and it went from being a thing that I was very much a hobbyist and then it transformed into this, it, it just kind of took over my whole life. So... I would say anything related to circus, just circus culture. And here in Las Vegas, we have all of these amazing Cirque shows and Cirque du Soleil shows. So I'm just fascinated by the human body and like in movement and then how we have these like crazy structures in place that um, create these like wonderful spectacles. So that's a long answer. No, that's a great answer. <laughs> That's really interesting. Do you find that uh, that it was kind of something that just kind of took over? Yes, absolutely. So I started I started doing circus because I saw someone on Instagram, out of all things, uh, do it recreationally, kind of do the acro aerial acrobatics, and so I thought, well, I can I can try that. I was looking for like a new workout, you yeah. know. I I didn't really have, I, I hate the gym. So I thought this looks like something I could do. And very quickly I realized, oh, this is not something I can do. <laughs> this is really, really difficult. And my first class, I could not get like a foot off the ground. And the coach at the time was like, just climb it like you would climb a rope. It's like, that, that helps in no way. <laughs> no idea what that's like. And then I started meeting people there, and I just kind of came across this circus com community. Um, and what really drove me to it more than the physicality of it was you got to um, hang out with people that you would not really know otherwise. Like, one of my best friends is a professional chef. So, like, people who, like, run in totally different circles that, you know, come the ability of circus to bring people together is what really drove me to it. And also, y you always kind of hear about circus kind of um, attracting people who always feel like misfits or, you know, they don't fit in anywhere else in society. And that still stands true today. You, you kind of, we're all a little weird, <laughs> to be honest. Definitely a little socially awkward. <laughs> I find it interesting that what you really uh, found fascinating about circus was almost the social aspect and then, as an organizational communication researcher, obviously you started asking questions about it. Yes, yes. So the entirety of my dissertation project really came about from me being at the circus studio and overhearing coaches, myself included, when somebody would say, wow, this is really painful. Because uh, you got to imagine, you're putting your whole body weight on an apparatus, and it's usually made out of metal or fabric. And... In response, coaches would say, well, circus hurts. Like, and it was just so matter-of-fact, and it was so mm -hmm. readily accepted. We're like, oh, okay, well, it hurts, so it's, it's fine. 
And just that alone, that phrase alone, I thought was super interesting that you could tell that to someone and that would completely change their behavior. You, you stop complaining about the pain and you decide, well, as a member of this community, it, it's just kind of a thing. It's going to hurt and I'm going to do it. And that's kind of how I get to be a circus um, person. So, And isn't this kind of, you know, this is outside the norm of typical organizational communication research, which I found fascinating mm-hmm. that you're doing something that's, that's a little different, a little t- different type of organization, but you're almost looking at both a culture and uh, a practice, so to speak. Yeah, it was, I think I was, I was really fortunate to be a part of the circus community when I did my research because so many people were already willing to talk to me. And I interviewed circus artists from all over the world because I was collecting data during COVID, so everything was shut down. And it was so cool to see all of the similarities and how we had all been socialized, especially in terms of circus hurts. Um, just, you know, someone that I was talking to in France, like had a very similar socialization that to me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Laura, you just got to UNLV. Yes. Came from the desert, coming from Arizona. <laughs> Tell us, uh, what do you like about Las Vegas? Obviously, huge circus culture that surrounds mm-hmm. Cirque du Soleil, but tell us a little bit about you and what you found appealing about coming to work here at UNLV. Well, so honestly, when I moved to Arizona, so I'm from originally from California, I went to Arizona and I thought, man, it's it's so hard to live here. <laughs> like, desert is so hard. It's not forgiving. So it was actually, and I grew to love it. I, I, it genuinely became home for me, which I never thought I would say that. And my friends would tell you the same thing. But so coming to Las Vegas, it was really nice and almost comforting to also move to a different desert. I feel that Las Vegas is a good blend between L.A. and Phoenix. So in a lot of ways, it feels like it was kind of made for me to be here. It was just it, it really fit in perfectly. One of the things I, I haven't been able to explore a lot of the outdoor activities because I've been here mostly in December. But it's nice to how compartmentalized the city is. Like you could definitely be in the strip and do all of the you know Vegas traditional things. But you can also go weeks without even realizing that or, or like associating with the strip in any degree. And and that's pretty cool. So it's, it's just kind of like we can choose to do this and there's a flurry of activity and there's the opportunity to do so much all the time. But you can also just chill at your house and it's fine. <laughs> and and what, what I'm realizing is really cool is that so many people come to Las Vegas. So I'll probably get to see my friends more often. A definite, a definite plus for mm-hmm. living here. You're right. What was it about this position at the Department of Communication Studies that attracted you to UNLV? So I loved, I, I thought that it was just the perfect location for me to be able to research what I wanted to research. Like there, So uh, as a subset of organizational communication, I study body work. And specifically in, in sports context, I, I thought, you know, Las Vegas, we have so many different teams. We have the circus community. There's like a beauty industry, there's a sex work industry. So there's so many opportunities for things to study here. So I, I really, and, and everyone has told me that it's kind of been the perfect position for me. <laughs> and it's really exciting to grow this um, ORCOM pathway that we have as well. Yeah, that's that's an area we really want to grow because we think a lot of students will be interested in it. It's, it's a nice pathway into the industry, into industry yes. and uh, jobs and everything else. Um, so growing up in California, 
So did you do a lot of sports and things of that nature? What was it that kind of, were there, you know, obviously you just all of a sudden didn't show up at the gym and decide, hey, I want to do this. What was it? What, you, were, there was some foundation there, I'm sure. So I, I, I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing basketball mostly. And I played basketball in high school. I, I played as a kid. I played in, in high school. And then, like, puberty kicked in. And um, there's actually, <laughs> getting all researching now, but there's research that suggests that most girls drop out of sports at around ages 15, um, more, like twice as, as fast as boys do, essentially. Mm. And it's because men tend to be more encouraged to continue in sports, whereas women tend to be given a choice. Like, well, you're either going to study or you're going to have to be a pro athlete. There's no in between. So I'm part of that statistic. Like, I definitely dropped out of doing anything sports-related around that age. And then after high school and college, I took on a full-time job where I was sitting all day. And so I went from having a really active childhood to a very not active adulthood. And probably became really self-conscious about it. Um, I think women in their bodies, especially when doing sports, can feel self-conscious as well. Um, <clears throat> so I needed to change. I just needed to do something active. And I, I stumbled into Zumba first, but I'm a terrible dancer. I look like an awkward grasshopper with like having a stroke or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not only awkward grasshopper, but one having a stroke. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then circus, like I said, it was... I don't think I'm the best. I, I know for sure I'm not the best aerialist, but the community and just the sense of empowerment that you get from being able to do stuff. And it's also really cool when people don't realize how strong I am. So people always ask me if they need help carrying something. I'm like, no, I got it. <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> so it's cool. Yeah. So tell me about organizational communication. Why organizational communication? When I came to ASU, when I went to ASU, I wanted to study with Dr. Sarah Tracy, who is just kind of this powerhouse of organizational communication as well as qualitative, qualitative research. And I had come in with a background in intercultural and interpersonal com. And I met with her the first semester, and I asked her to be my advisor. And she said, ask me again at the end of the semester, and also, I want to mentor someone who's going to contribute to like qualitative research, but I really want to mentor someone who wants to contribute to ORCOM. And I thought, okay, well, then I need to like get my ORCOM game on. And eventually, as I, I, I we didn't really have an ORCOM pathway in my um, undergrad institution, so I hadn't really taken any ORCOM classes. And then as I got involved in the different conference divisions for ORCOM, and worked with Sarah, I was like, this is a really great area of our discipline where you can really study any direction that you want to go. Like you can make, you, you can study interpersonal context, you can study intercultural. And at the time, because I was working on the circus project, um, I was really getting into sports comm as well as intercultural because of the whole community aspect. And it, so it just, it just kind of came together as a really great option for me to focus on during my doctoral program and now that I've become more involved I like I don't think I would fit anywhere else quite as well as ORCOM did that's cool yeah tell us a little bit about your teaching what do you like to teach I have a feeling it's going to be ORCOM related but maybe you'll surprise us but tell us a little bit about what you like to teach and maybe um 
you know, is there a particular teaching style that you've developed um, or that you're working on developing? So I, I do enjoy teaching ORCOM very much, and it's really exciting to be able to talk about the stuff that I've researched, of course. But honestly, and I'll tell everyone this, one of my favorite classes to teach has always been public speaking. And I say that because it's the class where I see so much growth in students, and they kind of have this, like, moment of, oh, I can do this. And you can see so much growth between someone who comes in very shy or even the people who come in very confident, just the way that they're able to kind of like develop more of that critical um, thinking mindset and getting in front of a class and having everyone stare at you is can be very intimidating and it's a very vulnerable thing. So what I've enjoyed most about it is, and this is something I carry to all my classes, it's just really fostering a safe environment where people can feel not judged. Like they're, I, I, I always want my classes to be kind of this like breath of fresh air. Where it's like I can walk in here, I can share my opinions. I know I'm not going to be attacked, um, and I and I kind of have that conversation with all my classes the first day. Like I really care about fostering a safe environment. Um, so yeah. I think there was a second part to that question. I think you've answered it somewhat. You have you you really foster the safe environment where where people can you know feel comfortable in the classroom, whether it's with ideas or maybe just expressing themselves. But anything else that you you think about your particular teaching style? I think I really focus on application. So I really care about bringing down these you know abstract theoretical concepts and bringing them down so that they are tangible and understandable and bringing them down to a real human level. I think for so many of us, you know, if I think back as a student, I can think of classes that I took that I thought, I don't, why do I need to take this? I don't want to waste my time doing this. So even with those that are required for GEs, I always tell students, like, you, this is your time. This is your life that you're, this is your money that you're putting into this. I want you to walk out of here with more than, cool, I can check a box. Like, I really want you to deconstruct and analyze and apply to your, you know, day to day, hopefully. And to me, that's what's so beautiful about calm. And that's what drew me to calm in the first place, that I was learning things that I thought, oh, man, like everyone should take a calm class because <laughs> now I can see things that I'm doing in conversation that are not OK or I can improve, you know, my quality of life in this aspect or I can improve my relationships in this aspect. So and in ORCOM, we do so much of really trying to bring down the theory to a application so that we can also start to shift those structures and promote, you know, well-being and better discourses. Tell me a little more about uh, your family, um, your background and everything. You grew up in California. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, did you have siblings? What was it like? Uh, so I'm an <clears throat> only child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was actually born in Guadalajara, Jalisco. And then um I, my, my mom got married and we moved out here, so I grew up with just my parents. So I always tell people that even as a child, I was very like mature for my age because I just hang out with adults all the time. We didn't do like play dates or anything like that. It was just me hanging out with my mom a lot of the time. So no siblings, um, but I have a lot of cousins. I have like 18 cousins. My, <laughs> my grandparents had eight kids. And most of them um, and their, you know, their kids are, are in Mexico still. But I got to go every now and then and visit. So you're bilingual then? I am. Yes, I am fluent in Spanish. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it's kind of interesting that you've chosen circus to be kind of your area because it almost seems like it's, it's, it's 
a, a group and a social setting, but it's also very individual too, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, I think here in Las Vegas, I would say at least I have not stumbled upon the community as much. Um, I think because you have so many dedicated professionals, you go into the gym and everyone's kind of in their zone. And there's the Las Vegas Circus Center, which a lot of the performers on the strip go train there. So I'm still kind of looking for that community. I think I can find it more easily in more of the recreational areas because people are there to socialize. But you're right, it's, it is very individual. Um, so it requires a ton of discipline. So if we're gonna ask you, you know, say, okay, outs, you know, there's obviously the things, I probably asked you this when you were interviewing with us, uh, the things that are on your CV and uh, things about you that people would notice or right from the get-go. But what would be a surprise? What would be something unique about Laura that that I, you wouldn't know unless you really knew you well? Well, so one of the things that surprises people is that I have tattoos. <laughs> and that's usually because they're on the inside of my forearms. So it, it's it's not a thing that is like super obvious, which I kind of like as well. Um, but I don't think you have to know me super well to know that. I would say that I am incredibly dorky. Like, <laughs> I, I do believe I am 80 years old inside. I, I just, I prefer Quiet Night in, I love old movies. Like, I have seen old movies more than new movies. Um, I love The Godfather. I love the whole, like, mob family idea. I wish I could be. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm super dorky and a little bit awkward. I think I, I put on in front of very calm and collected, but I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> so what, what's your favorite old movie? Uh, oh, I, I would say The Godfather. Godfather? Yeah, I would okay. say The Godfather for what sure. What would be number two? There is a, there's a French movie called The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and it's... Uh, I watched it in high school, and I was like the only. This, this is this is why I am the way I am. I was the only person in a classroom full of high school students who was actually excited for this movie. <laughs> I was like, "This is so cool! We get to learn about French cinema," um, and, and it's just like this love story, whatever. The, the The teacher at the time he pitched it as Greece, like the French version of Greece, and it wasn't. <laughs> it was it was a lot more tragic. It's not funny. There's no singing. Well, no, there is actually singing. Um, but it's with um, Catherine Deneuve, so who's a famous French actress. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that that one comes to mind. I think I think because it had a, a really big impact in my life. So I like old movies. I don't know. That's great. See more. That's great. That is great. I'm sure I have more too. It's the pressure. So tell us what you're working on now. Like, what are some of the projects you're working on either today or you're planning on working on over the next year or so? Yes, yes. So um, right now, I'm currently mining my dissertation for publication. So it ended up being around 180 pages. And journal articles are, what, like 25, 30? Mm. So I have my work cut out for me for the next little bit. I think for sure we can get two papers. One of them is already under review. And um, and, and then I'll start working on the other one. But I still have about 30% of my data set from my disk that I haven't touched because mm. there was not space for it if I wanted to graduate in time. And that part really focused on how circus can heal trauma and build resilience. Hmm. And there's a lot of um, focus right now in, in our discipline on kind of the social construction of resilience. And that's something that I'm really interested in, just kind of how we can speak resilience into existence, essentially. And I think circus, especially, is a really 
great way to to do that and I've seen that be fostered and I think that's really cool to have it interconnected with like physical pain and like physicality mm-hmm. and just pushing your body to the limits which is very similar to other sports contexts but with separate circus is that you have that performance aesthetic so you have to do really hard mm-hmm. stuff but you have to look like it's not hard at all um, anyway so that's kind of forthcoming so I still have that's the part that's not written out yet Um, and then beyond that I I still want to keep working with the circus community I know there's um, there's something called social circus where they teach circus to kind of like at-risk youth and that's something that I've been wanting to get involved in more and that'll be the next project that sounds fantastic yeah that's great you know I guess if you were going to say something what every student should know about you before they take your class, what would it be? I would say, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but come prepared to work hard and to learn a lot, but also to walk away with some application of what you're learning that you could definitely use in your day-to-day and, you know, kind of think about, you know, long after the class is over. At least that's my hope. (laughs) Well, I think we know who to call if we need something moved. Especially if you have to go up high to get it. That's exactly right. So if we need to to move something and uh, there's some balancing that's involved, we will not call on the, uh, the the grasshopper who's having a stroke, <laughs> but instead we will call on you, yes, Laura. Yes, yes, much better. <laughs> that concludes our conversation from Communication Studies today. Laura, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.